Blog Talk Radio. Hello and welcome. We're so glad to have you with us here this evening on Ask Herbal Health Expert Susan Weed, a two-hour radio show each Tuesday night. Herbal medicine is people's medicine, simple, safe, effective. Please bring your curiosity and health questions. Susan will enlighten, surprise, and delight you. I know most of you know Susan Weed already. She's my mom, so I know her. But for those of you who have not yet met Susan, I'd like to share she is the author of the Wise Woman Herbal Series, wonderful books on women's health and herbal medicine, including Wise Woman Herbal for the Childbearing Year, Breast Cancer Breast Health! Exclamation point, The Wise Woman Way, Healing Wise, The Wise Woman Herbal, New Menopausal Years, The Wise Woman Way, Down There, Sexual and Reproductive Health, The Wise Woman Way. And Abundantly Well, Seven Medicines, The Wise Woman Way, the newest book in the Wise Woman Herbal Series. So exciting. In addition to being the editor at Ashtree Publishing and writing her books, Susan is the director of the Wise Woman Center in Woodstock, New York. The Wise Woman Center is open to the public on appointment-only basis. She offers weekend workshops, intensives, and apprenticeships throughout the season. Susan is also available to you online via wisewomanmentor.com. There you can go and view her weekly e-zine. You can subscribe to receive a notification via email each week, or you could join her mentorship program. Susan also offers distance learning correspondence courses and online courses at thewisewomanschool.com. Join us there for colorful, instructive, easy video courses, including Easy Herbal Medicine with Susan Weed, Happy Knees, a cancer diagnosis, adaptogens for long life, and abundantly well companion course, wisewomanschool.com. You can also just go to her website, susanweed.com, where you will find thousands of pages online with recipes, articles, art features, and so much more. Well, for now, let's see what Susan has to share with us this evening. Thank you, and welcome, Susan. Thank you, Justine, and welcome, Sarah Ellen. Hi, Susan. Thank you. Welcome, welcome to you. Welcome home from California, right? Yes, just home from California. And so the question of the evening is, what did you argue about at Thanksgiving? (laughs) (laughs) 
Oh, my goodness. We are such a politically diverse group that we daren't go there at all. And so what we argued about was choice. Mm. Because you know that I maintain that while we often have little or no choice about the circumstances of our lives, that we always have a choice about the circumstances of our mood. Mm. How fascinating. I just had a conversation with someone about this today. Oh, my gosh. Yes, and um, it was almost someone put it to me in a way where they were like, well, since I have to do it all for myself and no one will help me decide, or, you know, I have to do it all for myself. The, The words help me decide weren't used. It was just I have to do it all by myself. Um, and I just was like, well, thank goodness and blessed be that you have the capability and the wherewithal to know that you have a choice and that it's yours to make and that no one is making it for you. And I'm grateful yes. that I don't have to make the choice for you. I'm grateful that you are capable of endeavoring in whatever needs to be endeavored upon and make the choice for yourself. Blessed be, we have the choice and the capacity to make it for ourselves. Well, I was was told that, you know, that, um, no, only only highly evolved people can make choices. No. No, I disagree. I will not submit to that. You know, that, that ordinary humans are simply swept along by their conditioning, by their, you know, isms, whether it's There's sexism or racism or ageism or whatever ism, you know, uh, anti-Semiticism, whatever ism they're isming, we could call them sure. limiting beliefs in the common parlance, that those just sweep people away and their emotions sweep them away and they have no choice. Well, I think it's a spectrum, right? I mean, we all have the opportunity to be swept away by that and to be sometimes swept away to an extent and then say, whoa, where am I going? What's happening? I've been swept away. And that's the the beauty of what you're saying is that we have a choice and we have, if we have capacity to make a choice, then we have the awareness to know, oh, I'm being swept away in this ism. Then no, I'm going to make a choice other than this ism I've been conditioned to. I don't think that takes an evolved person. I just think that takes awareness and someone who is tuned in and willing to make the choice. I would argue that sometimes an evolved person may be conditioned to think that they need to go along and not voice a choice. So <laughs> I think <laughs> you're right. Or what somebody might think of as an evolved person. I, of course, you know, am still on my horse about evolved does not mean better. Right. Evolution is not an upward path. It is an erratic, chaotic cakewalk. Yes. Yes. Um, wow. It sounds like you're saying giving me a Apparently, this has been very clear to me. Like, I can remember back to being very young certainly under 12, and clearly saying to myself, I am going to choose this in my life. 
I I had arguments about it with people as young as seven. And it wasn't the common way. And it it caused me grief. (laughs) Uh, I totally agree. Anyone in my family would attest to it. (laughs) (laughs) This is what I am doing. That doesn't mean we get to choose, again, the circumstances. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You might, you know, people tend to think that this means that you get to live exactly the way you want to. You you don't get to live exactly the way you might imagine it, but you do get to live exactly the way you want to because you know that what you want is love and joy and abundance, mm-hmm. and you are going to be the avatar of things no matter what's happening. Blessed be. And there's a choice. That is the choice. Right there. Yes. 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 Because mm-hmm. how wonderful that we here right now live in this abundance that I've just come from Southern California. We went to the Miracle Mile in Beverly Hills. We went to Hollywood. I mean, I have been seeing abundance. (laughs) I bet. Right. And, you know, it's glory. And I know at the same time that I live on a planet that makes me aware on a daily basis that that's not the circumstances of many other people's lives. Mm-hmm. And so mm-hmm. I want to find in that Buddhist way that joy and that abundance and that love, not from my circumstances they're, when they're good, It's not my circumstances that makes me happy. If so, when my circumstances change, and they probably will, life being life, then my happiness will go away. Yeah. So I want that love, that abundance, that joy to come from the universal fountains of it, shall we say, which never run dry. Mm. Hmm. and which we have access to even in the midst of horror. Yep. We went to see Killers of the Flower, the the movie by Scorsese. Oh, I don't know it. Very difficult to take. It's an extraordinary movie. The acting is exemplary. It is hideously violent. Your heart ripped to shreds by it. And the good guys win. Oh. Wow. The, I think I've got it right. I think it's the Omaha were, like many Native people, shifted from here to there and here to there and from, you know, fertile hunting, gathering, you know, medicinal places to more and more marginal lands. And ultimately, uh, 
put somewhere, you know, which was basically looked like absolutely nothing, and they struck oil. Wow. And some of the richest people around, I think the statistic they said was like percent of the Stutz Bearcats, which was the luxury car at that time, were owned by this particular group of people. And the movie is the story of how one white man tried to get all their wealth. Oh, wow. Mm. Not nice. But as I said, incredible. Mm. And you said it's called Killers of the Flower Moon? Killers of the Flower Moon. Wow. Just that title says a lot. It's like, wow. Killers in front of Flower Moon. Ah. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> oh, wow. We also saw a movie in which we were treated to an exuberant naked dance of I don't know it seemed to be five minutes whoa yes by a naked man pirouetting jumping up and down doing leaps it was quite amazing and for joy what? it was like a freeform dance it wasn't a ballet I wouldn't want you to think it was ballet or formal in any way at all it was not <laughs> oh wow <laughs> It was rather the finale of a movie in which he had taken over the castle by basically eliminating all the people who who lived there. Oh, wow. It was really, I, I said, it was my granddaughter's pick. Remember, she turned 16 on Thanksgiving mm-hmm. Day. That was her pick for a movie. And so after we left, I said to her, you must be an adult now because those are all of the things that we try to hide from the children. <laughs> oh, happy birthday, Monica Jean. You are birthday. an adult. You it's think so about beautiful. anything that you don't want children to know about, it was in that movie. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> if you don't know about it either, don't go. <laughs> I have not heard anything about a movie that contains something like that. Very interesting. <laughs> <laughs> there's also oh. a scene. There's also a scene in which he has what do they call it? Carnal knowledge of grays. Of the who? earth of a grave. He has carnal oh. knowledge of the earth of a grave. Wow. Right, one of the people at, at the castle is buried, and he goes to the grave, and he has carnal knowledge of that. Very, oh, fascinating. Oh, wow. This movie's at the box office now? It sounds so interesting. Right now. We went to a big theater and saw both of these movies, one on one day and one on another day. It was there for six days, so. And I think... Nice. I think last night they went to see uh, Wish. Mm, I don't know that one either. I very much <laughs> I'm not a... want to see all the airports I went through were plastered with posters for it, and I'll just like I'll wait and see. But at, at, so I was soundly, you know, booed and said, "How could you not want to see a movie in which the the heroine has a goat as a companion?" Oh. 
Oh, is this a Disney movie? It's <laughs> Disney, yes. <laughs> okay, which sounds like a Disney movie. Oh, how interesting. Oh, well, I'm curious now. I want to check it out. Check it out, right. I believe the theme is that uh, the the evil man has the power to grant people's wishes, and he's very, like, cautious about whose wishes he grants. And he, there is a young girl, I do not know exactly how she is related, perhaps his daughter, perhaps not, who decides she's just going to give wishes away. Oh. We can and bet that Megan is enthused, don't you think? And she has a goat, right? Oh, how appropriate. <laughs> the goat might have an influence on her idea to give those wishes away. That sounds like goaty behavior. You do what you want. You do what you want. <laughs> yeah, that's so fun. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Mm-hmm. What else is happening at your place? Oh, it's not super cold here. Um, and before that, you know, I'll share a little bit, although we do have three hands raised, but I'll just share because I had a pretty profound experience this week um, with a longstanding issue, and um, it coincided with me doing some of that work with the remodeling of the kitchen, and I moved some plywood sheets, almost like a scarecrow. You know, if you imagine my arms, like, trying to lift a four-by-eight sheet of plywood, and I moved four of them from Much the bigger car than you are. Oh, yeah, way bigger than me, and my arms were, like, down, you know, like a scarecrow at a, like, 90-degree angle, at, you know, from my body and, and up the elbow to my shoulder. And um, so I moved four of them. Yeah, no big deal. It coincided with some really cool stuff that ties into some almost, like, precognitive conversation, which was interesting because I had been conversing with my husband about how do you know if you're having a precognitive conversation. Um, and we had talked about, like, screaming and yelling in the barn and, um, like, can you know, just letting it go. And I had, like, yelled and screamed because it's not a problem for me. And then I'm like, your turn. And, like, I was like, ah, come on, more than that, more than that. And we were just talking about how it could be hard for people to let it go. And I am really loud. You know, obviously everyone can probably tell, um, or so I thought. And uh, anyway, I moved these pieces of plywood, blah, blah, blah. Then I went to bed that night with a horrible migraine, which is a longstanding problem for me. But they've been really bad lately. And um, a migraine for me is, like, not a headache. It's a whole, like, event. Like, I call it a neurological event. It is just all perception is off. Things are wonky. Pain, pain, pain. Light is not right. Everything is just eh. And so, yeah, in the middle of the night, I woke up, and my left clavicle, which strangely energy people have told me that's tied into migraines and stuff, was so locked up and tweaked out from moving that plywood. It still is, but it's not nearly as bad as it was that night. Oh. I woke up at 3 in the morning, and it hurt so bad. And I'm cognizant and totally respectful that my husband is trying to sleep and all this. And as loud as I can be, I am also mindful and sometimes can be a people pleaser. And so it's like after the fact, well, we can all talk about that. There's so much to gain from it. But um, I woke up in such writhing, shuddering pain. Every move I made, I I was screaming and crying so hard that my husband wasn't sure if I was crying or laughing. And it went on for 45 minutes. And when I woke up, I, I had not only the pain in my clavicle, but also this horrible migraine. 
And as horrible as the clavicle pain was all through the night, I will say that after about 45 minutes of the screaming, I realized the migraine was completely gone. Oh, my gosh. (gasps) And that is crazy for me because normally the thing that irritates my, what I call a migraine, you know, whole neurological event, cascade of symptoms, perception, all of things is off. Thing that irritates it the most is light and my voice. And so the fact that I was able to get into such a guttural place of pain and screaming and letting it out, and this is a migraine that had been coming and going for like a month. And that's, that's pretty typical for me, but this one had been really bad. And I have not had to do anything for it. Blessed be, knock on wood since that night. And it's just so fascinating. It, it, it felt, I'm not a shaman in any way, but it felt like shamanic in the way that I took myself to a place just deeper. I let it go. I felt like my neighbors probably thought I was giving birth, but they're like, she's in menopause. How could she be giving birth? I mean, I was screaming. <laughs> so it was just a really fascinating experience. And I just um, am just amazed because I had been talking about how great I was about like using my voice and being loud. And then here I was, you know. <laughs> here life gave you my an opportunity to really use your voice and be loud and not yeah and not at a time where it was like you know to be a pain in someone's side on purpose or to speak my mind but because I needed to I did not have a choice and I refused to hold it in and let it out and that was the moment and I let it out for 45 minutes like honestly like I was giving birth to something and I I needed to do it and I allowed it to flow through and it wasn't in moments of like controlled awareness where I choose to speak my mind and say no don't you do that to me or go to get that mm-hmm. or, mm-hmm. no it was, was a, really it was really primal it was honestly primal <laughs> So my clavicle still hurts. and There is something called the primal stream. <laughs> mm. It was. <laughs> mm-hmm. Oh. Mm-hmm. Wow. 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 And just so fascinating because I had been tempting fate, you know, like saying how great I was at screaming when I was told to scream. But that is not what yeah. it was about. It was <laughs> when I hated yeah. to scream even though I was supposed to be strong and hold together. It was it was great. It was so, so I learned so much and oh, it was almost it is worth the pain of this clavicle issue, which is just oh. <laughs> oh, it, clavicle pain is very intense. Yeah. And and I don't it's actually it's clavicle on the front and then it's scapular on the back. Where it's starting in the scapula, but then as it's been resolving, it's it's front to back. It's really it's fascinating. It's through and through, beautiful. So <laughs> I've just yeah. opportunity. Good. So you to use really your body evenly. And yeah, that's so. Yeah, <laughs> and one of the things that I like to remember after I've used my body hard for anything, and of course I was doing it as I was flying, was to take Hypericum tincture. It has been such a blessing. The tincture and the topical on my back, I can't hardly, that was the cruel part, was I can't reach (laughs) to put it without writhing pain. But my husband, when he would rub it in, I kid you not, I mean, I have not had an opportunity other than sciatica to really 
attest to like, oh, it works wonders in a minute or less. And it does. Like this is rising pain. And like in the middle of the night, I was in such suffrage. I couldn't even like find the hypericum because we're tearing the kitchen apart. And that's where my big jar of it was. And at any rate, I found the hypericum the next day. And when he put that on there, oh, my goodness. And it, the, the relief lasts for a good 45 minutes to an hour to the point where, like, I can't feel the nerve pain and I can honestly feel, like, the movement underneath to kind of feel what's tweaking it off so that I can be even more mindful for, like, you know, the, the recovery process so that I don't trigger something. <laughs> it's, mm-hmm. it's great. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So uh, this is really important what you're saying. Pericum relieves the pain. It relieves it fast. It relieves it for a reasonable length of time, not as long as drugs do, but a reasonable length of time. And it doesn't separate you from the pain or numb the pain. Exactly. 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 I'm still aware that the pain would be there, but I can feel it in a different way, in the way that I'm able to move and be aware of, ah, Right there is where it would normally like trigger and smart and be like, ah! but it doesn't. It it just it allows the awareness and and like yeah to be really present to what is going on with the pain, and and not like suffer the rising intensity of it at the same time. It's really it's really a blessing. A blessing. So grateful. Hypericum conference. Hypericum oil and tincture. Thank you, thank you, thank you. <laughs> and also taking it while I'm doing heavy work and right after. Mm. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I find very useful because sometimes I don't know where I've overdone it. Yeah. So, in the in a situation where it's pretty likely <laughs> that I probably exceeded in some way <laughs> my capacity, <laughs> since we all tend to think that we are stronger than we usually are, it's a common yeah. common human thing. Um. I should just feed myself some hypericum just on the off chance that I thought I was stronger than I am. <laughs> Darn it. If I'm not hearing you right now, because when I was moving those sheets of plywood, I was like, it was almost first thing in the morning, you know, and now I'm really hearing you because, like, don't do yoga first thing in the morning, wait till the afternoon. No, this was like 7 a.m. I needed to get him out of the back of the car. I am still hearing you because I was thinking, oh, look at me. I could do this all by myself. I don't have to wake anybody up. And, oh, if I had been that, like, silly again to do that, I will definitely go take a couple dropperfuls of Hypericum right after. Right after you do it. Here you go. I know. That was a little abusive. Take some Hypericum. Yeah, you got yourself yeah. thinking you're so strong, you better reach for that, because you're not right. as strong as you think you are, <laughs> at least not when you, yeah, wake up in the middle of the night feeling it. 
and she's still there. It's not like she's going to hold a grudge and say, well, I would only help if you asked me beforehand. No, she's not at all like that. Hypericum is very good. Mm-hmm. Help you ask her for the puppy. Even if it's like, oh, I forgot to ask you before. She's right there without any attitude at all. And, um, it is, so isn't true. it? And, yeah, you know, one of, my, one of my first teachers, someone that um, I met in Florida, said to me something that I, at the time when he said it, found very, very hard to take. And it's still hard to even really, I think, for many people to understand. I think it goes along with what we're saying about choice. And he said, you know, the person who offended makes the war as much as the person who is offensive. Mm. Mm-hmm. Of course, that kind of idea has frequently been used against people and to keep people quiet. That's certainly not what I'm suggesting. I'm suggesting that because I think many people have come from a time just recently here in the past few days where they were in family circumstances, which always stirs up strong things for all of us. Mm-hmm. That is just a good time to um, see what's happening. What's happening with you? Especially if it's a family get-together that happens regularly, it's a really good time to say, oh, and how am I the same as I was last year and how am I different than I was last year? And is that like after, you know, sometimes when we're at family gatherings, we say things like, oh, and then next year I'll or da-da-da. Was that part of what you said to yourself last year? And if so, were you true to yourself? Were you true with that thing that you wanted to do or not do this year? Mm. So here we are, talking, 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 but very important issues. Definitely, yeah. Here and right there is the information about Whitney Walker. Now, is I was a little uh, um, unclear because right after Whitney Walker it says rescheduled. Does that mean this is the rescheduled, or she's going to be rescheduled? Do you know is Whitney going to be with us tonight? She is going to be with us. She was going to be with us one of the nights that Blog Talk had its outed. So Whitney Walker is a licensed massage and family therapist who specializes in addiction, eating disorders, trauma, and spirituality. And I must admit that being autistic, I thought, wow, she specializes in being addicted and having eating disorders and being traumatized and then being spiritual on top of it. Good work. But, of course, I think really what she's trying to say here is she specializes in offering assistance to people who are addicted. Mm, Right. 
I think so. And, and have eating. being there for people who are dealing with eating disorders? Right. And have experienced that she trauma. works a lot with people um, who have had trauma. So um, she is very much into the divine feminine and moving from fear to love. She created the Women Waken podcast, and she will be here one hour from now at 9 o'clock East Coast time, 6 o'clock California time, to talk to us about what she's been doing and the transformative power of travel. So we've been making the people with questions wait for a very long time. Let's let them ask their questions. All right. And if you are dialed in and have a question for Susan, please press 1. We'll see your hand go up. We've got five hands at the start here, and the first caller is dialed in from the 512 area code. From the 512, you are live with Susan. Hello there. Thank you for taking my call. You're um, welcome. I'm, thank you. I'm calling you about my son. He is nine years old, and um, I'm hoping that you can just give me a perspective about something that will actually help my heart to um, you know, like, well, we'll have a great day. It'll be a beautiful day. And then I'll go to read him to sleep and he'll just start whimpering and I'll ask him what's wrong. And he says that he is um, terrified of the day when he, he uh, when uh, I will die or his dad will die. And, um, you know, I do what I, what I can as a mother. I just, I comfort him with conversation and nurturing and time goes on and a week or two will go by and then he'll have another another um, incident like that. Sometimes it's not only when he goes to sleep, it's we'll be driving the car in the morning and just having our conversations and he'll just start kind of crying and I just hold his hand and we have our conversation. But I'm just wondering how you would approach that just given his age and he does, uh, he's always sort of had like a mystical bent and he's actually sort of um, talked about this a lot for, for a few years, this isn't really anything new. started happening, I guess, when he was about six years old. Um, I just thought, you know, I'm just going to go ahead and try to give, give you a call to see if maybe you could give me some mm-hmm. advice. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, the word mystical really stuck out because that's such an unmystical view of death. Mm. One yeah, of the one of the very first times that I was asked to help someone who had cancer, it was by the parents of a child who had cancer, and I told them that I needed to speak with their son alone before I could tell them whether or not I could even help them, and they agreed to let me do that. And when I was alone with their son, I asked him if he thought I could help him. And he said yes, that he very much thought that I could help him and that the big help that I could give him was to help his parents understand 
that his death wasn't their failure. That he had done what he was supposed to do and he wasn't needed here anymore. So to me, that's a mystical understanding of death. What I'm getting from the way you're describing what your son is doing is a very limited, very unmystical view of death as though it were some kind of termination. As though it was something to be avoided. So, I would perhaps see if I could find out from him um, what exactly he's concerned about. He's scared of being... has Has somebody been telling him about, like, hell or things like that? No, it's it's nothing like that. I um definitely definitely not and uh we we would have talked about it, but um he tells me that he's scared of being alone. And you are right about that about the mystical thing because he's very logical actually about it. He sits there and calculates my age. <laughs> and I'm a, I had him when I was a bit older and he he will tell me, "Why didn't you have me when you were younger?" And, He's scared of being alone. He's scared. Uh-huh. He tells me that he says, who will take care of me? And But he, has, he actually does ask other questions like he is worried about what will happen to him. And he, I guess you're right. He does think of it more of a, like a termination. Although, although he has had experiences that he shared with me um, like he's had like out of body experiences. So let me ask you this: What would happen to him if you were to die tomorrow? Like practically, you mean? I, yeah. I'm, he would be taken care of. Does he know that? Does he, he does. How he does, and he knows how he would mm-hmm. be taken care of. Yes. Well, then something it. it so- line up here, does it? If he's worried about what will happen to him, and yet he knows what will happen to him. I wonder if it's because he's an only child, or maybe he's very attached to me. You're helping me think about some stuff, though. Yeah. Yeah, that's that's all we're doing. It's just kind of brainstorming. You know, what's... What is, what is he actually trying to say here? What is he what is he concerned about? And it of course would make sense that he would be concerned about your older parents and you know you're going to die. But it also sounds like um Maybe he doesn't quite understand genetics. Mm. Maybe it's time for a genetics lesson. Mm. 
maybe if he understood that he can't ever be without you because he is mm-hmm. you. Hmm. That might be something he could that he can hold on to. Yeah. Yeah. Like, you know, we're thinking, okay, you know, there'll be and he I guess he knows, like if you were to die, these people would take care of him, yes? Yes. Yeah. So you know. And we think, you know, because to us, that's what's important. But that may not be what's really important to him. It might be more, you know, like that, what we're hypothesizing here, a sense of your being gone. And that you, to tell him you've already taken care of him, you've already given him the best of yourself. You already chose for him the best food while you were pregnant. I actually really did. (laughs) Of course you did. You know, just when he starts that crying and I just, because there is no answer for this. I mean, it's it's the existential crisis and it's just, you know, it's just, I'm not just going to tell him some story that, I don't know if it's fiction or not. He has to come up with that for himself. It's his own spiritual journey, you know. But but when he does start that crying, my own heart hurts. And I just, of course, I want to comfort him. Yeah. Thank you for giving me that to think about because you are right. Maybe I can frame it that way for him. I mean, we take walks. We we kind of live out in the, in the country just a bit. And so he's uh-huh. seen... He's seen animals. He, we have a few animals. He's seen all this. I mean, he does take comfort in nature. Things make more sense when we're outside, but yet still he is, he is, he is, I mean, I'd say he has like a terror. Yeah. Yeah. And it's always a moment-to-moment decision how we are going to deal with our own or someone else's terror. Mother Wart is always a wonderful companion. So perhaps you want to give him a little Mother Wart tincture when he has his terror. I do. I do. Good. And it actually does seem to sort of calm him down. And, you know, he just likes his five drops of Mother Wart, <laughs> whether it's Felicity yeah, or not. I, mean, I don't know, but... No, hey, you know what? These herbs, they actually do work. I know it's kind of hard to believe. No, 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 I do. But actually, (laughs) truly, really, they, even for people who don't believe in them, they actually work. Um, (laughs) They don't hold grudges against us. No. They're so kind. So, uh, thank you. I I know it's it's a hard thing to give advice about, but... I think you have a few more tools here for being in the moment with him, which you're doing very beautifully. And that's mostly what he wants, is to be reassured that you are here right now. Yeah, I need to help him understand about the power of of right now. Yeah. All right, Susan. Well, thank you so much. You always give me a little healing. Thank you. Thank you for calling and asking. Good night. 
Thank you. Great. Thank you. All right. And we have five callers that have pressed one to let us know they've got a question. The next caller is dialed in from the 707 area code. From the 707, you are live with Susan. Hello, is that me? That is you. Hi. Fabulous. Hi. Thank you. I um, so appreciate you. I just wanted to send Thank a little you. love before I ask my question. I, Thank um, you. Yeah. Yeah. You're so your national treasure. treasure. Ah. <laughs> um, so I um, had a tooth 10 years ago that had a crown that got infected and popped off in half, and it never okay. hurt. Yeah, it just was what it was. And my dentist at the time told me for years, someday that's going to be a thing and it's going to start hurting. Well, it never started hurting. Um, and he retired, and I got a new dentist, and she did some work on it. And um, was able to put another crown on it, but I was in a lot of pain still many weeks later, and she kind of disappeared. I didn't have a lot of faith in this dentist, so I sought out someone else, and that person did a CT scan and discovered that I had um, an infection in my bone, in my jaw, that had eaten a hole through the bone. And um, I actually asked him, like, how long do you think that infection had been there based on the size? And he estimated two or two and a half years. Um, So that prompted a surgery where I had the tooth removed and an implant placed in. And um, that felt like a relief for me. I um, was happy to have that done. And I've been healing from that. That was back in March. Um, And another related but separate issue is that the alignment of my teeth had always been a bit off such that every time I closed my mouth, um, I would bite my tongue and I, my teeth were just, you know, I kind of needed braces basically. Um, So because the, after the healing of the implant, I would require a new tooth to be placed. It was basically recommended that I, do that alignment now before they make the new tooth um, so that um, I could, you know, not have to pay for a second new tooth after the alignment. So I went ahead and started that process and it's involving um, basically like plastic aligners in my mouth, which, you know, theoretically have all the bad plastics removed, but I made a conscious choice to, you know, do this because it, in my mind, was a short time period. But I have come to discover that having these aligners in my mouth is having a negative impact on my gums. And I've been managing it. I'm coming to the end of needing to wear these, finishing up that process. However, in the last... um I would say, so the whole alignment process has been just under six months, and I would say for the last three months, I've been beginning to experience pain um, at the site of where my implant is, and um, I am not, as I said, I wasn't feeling any pain when I had the big infection, although post-operatively, I realized that I did have a pain that I was interpreting as being like a tight neck muscle, Um, but it wasn't a tight neck muscle. It was a pain in my jaw, an infection. So 
I'm beginning to have that pain again, and I'm concerned that possibly the infection has returned, and I feel that possibly this is due to these aligners sort of trapping different bacteria and whatnot at the site. My implant site is fully healed, but I still feel like having my teeth covered all day is not great. So um, I do have an appointment to have another scan to determine what is going on. However, in the meantime, I've been taking really large, to my mind, I want to stop you for a second. Okay. Why a CT scan instead of a regular X-ray? Well, the other dentist did an X-ray. I mean, I believe that, you know, an X-ray would have shown the hole in my jaw. It is not my understanding that a regular dentist will x-ray that area of your mouth. They're just looking at the tooth. I don't really know. This particular dentist likes the CT scan because it's so detailed and in this case provided him all the information they needed to do the extraction and the bone graft. And the do implant. you know how much radiation you're exposing yourself to? I, you know, I, they have a low radiation CT, and um, I don't. Low is still the highest amount of radiation allowed. Uh-huh, yeah. Okay. Low is low compared to older CT scans. Mm-hmm. Low is not low in terms of radiation. Okay. I did do as much sort of remediation of that as I could when I had that CT scan. Um, I was eating a bunch of seaweed. I'm just asking why the follow-up needs to be a CT scan. That's a great This question. is a follow-up now. I, uh, I'm not questioning your having done it. I'm questioning yeah. your doing it again. Yeah, that's a good question and a good point. Um, I think that he wanted to do it because the CT scan can show an actual pocket of infection where, you know, if there's so a I hole see, in the- So what's really important here in taking care of your health is that the dentist is happy. Mm. Well, I, too... Much more important than your health. Um, no, I wouldn't say I agree with that. Well, that's what you just told me. Um... Well, that you're thinking about I, doing this because the dentist wants it, mm-hmm. because it makes the dentist happier. I suppose well, I haven't through. I'm not really concerned about the dentist. I'm concerned about you. Yeah. Mm-hmm. What I see is I understand he probably also has either the equipment or an investment in the equipment and gets a kickback. It's a mm-hmm. big charge. A regular x-ray is like $100. A CT scan is like thousands of dollars. This particular one isn't quite that much, but it is more expensive, correct? Yeah. And so he probably makes money on this. Mm-hmm. And so we have to ask ourselves, is this really best for you? My mm-hmm. concern is you. Is your health being looked out for? Because I know that in modern medicine, the answer is no. They're not going to look out for your health. 
mm-hmm. don't know. If I talked at all last week, I probably may not have, but perhaps even the week before, but a woman that I know was going in for surgery for prolapsed uterus, and it was robotic surgery. And after the surgery, she was suffering some very severe side effects, and they said that those side effects were caused by the fact that it was easier for the robot to do the operation with her upside down, so they had her upside down for five hours. Wow. Because it's better for the robot. Yeah. So it's better for the doctor that you're exposed to radiation. That's mm-hmm. not a good enough use for me. Mm-hmm. Me for being more concerned. Huge amount of radiation. Yes, thank you. I I appreciate that. Yeah. Yeah. We don't have to do what other people want, especially if what they want does not align with our best health. Mm-hmm. We don't have to agree to have our health impaired so a doctor can have a better look. Mm-hmm. I'm hearing you. Thank you. Yes. You're welcome. Meanwhile, are you taking a lot of echinacea? I'm taking a lot of echinacea. I think it's enough. I'm taking four to six dropper folds, probably four to ten times a day, depending on how available it is or how busy I am. And I have added as well. Put the bottle in your pocket. Okay, yeah. Yeah, Just put I've the bottle to... in your pocket. Don't don't tell me how busy you are or not. Put the <laughs> bottle in your pocket. Walk around yeah. with it. Okay. Take it every two hours. Okay. If you need to, make six dosage bottles. Put one in the bathroom, one in the kitchen, one in the car, one where you walk. If, it's, if you don't want to carry it around with you, put it everywhere. Okay. Okay? And okay. take it, take it, take it, take it. Take it. Do you have any poke root tincture on hand? I do, actually. It's I have you been taking any of that? I made it myself from dried root, though. Oh, um, dear. I'm so sorry. Dried root. I don't think it will have any effect. Okay. Yeah. I don't, I don't even know why they bother to sell dried root. Yeah. Okay. Well, then that answers that. I have been putting myrrh tincture on my, um, luckily it's a lower tooth. Uh-huh. And one excellent, thing about- excellent thing to do, wonderful thing to do. On the other hand, if it is, as the scan suggested, a very deep-seated infection, what you do externally isn't going to have much effect. Mm-hmm. Even on, into my gums where it's soaking in? It's a really good thing to do. I don't want in any way want to dissuade you from doing it. It's not going to do what something like echinacea can do. Okay. More echinacea then. Mm-hmm. Because okay. the infection is too deep to be mm-hmm. reached mm-hmm. by that kind of putting it on. 
if you had like a bent syringe that could actually inject it down toward the root of the tooth. But think about, you know, we've all seen like signs, dentist signs with a tooth, right? Mm-hmm. How much yeah. of the tooth is root and how much of the tooth can you see? Yeah. Yeah. So you're putting it, you're putting it at your gum line. Yeah, and then it goes. And down. that infection is way down, 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 down in the root of the tooth, in the bone of your jaw. Mhm. Yeah. Inches from where you're putting the mirror. Well, I don't know yet if I do have an infection. <laughs> I don't. I'm not ready to say that it is reinfected, but. Um, I will say, though, that between my cheek and my my gum on that side, I get the myrrh down in there sort of closer to where it would be, you know, on the well, side. Well, myrrh is the... an anti-infective mm-hmm. and He's a painkiller. Like so mm-hmm. I thought that you were using myrrh because you thought you had an infection. Yeah, I I was hoping that I don't, but sort of prophylactically, you know, you've changed my thought about the scan, but my thought was I wanted to do everything I could prior to having the scan so that I know I did everything I could, you know, herbally, because um, I don't know what the, I don't know what the suggestion of the dentist would be if he figured out there was a new infection there. Mm-hmm. You could ask him that, too, you know? Yeah. Mm-hmm. In general, I do encourage people, if they're being asked to have a high-tech test, to ask at least, what do you expect to find out from this test that a simpler test wouldn't tell us? And in what way will I personally benefit from this test? Mm-hmm. These are questions that are important to you, but strangely enough, are not very important to doctors. Yeah. <laughs> you would think. Yeah. But yeah. don't, because they're not going to take you into consideration. They're going to say, I want to do this because I want to do it, right? That's basically what you're being told, isn't it? Yeah, actually, he recommended doing it a while ago, and I said no because my teeth are being moved, and to me, uh-huh. why I could be having pain at a new bone graft site. It makes sense that everything felt fine, and now we're moving the teeth next to a new bone, and maybe that's damaging it enough that there's pain. I don't. So we held off, and I said, you know, after that that movement is done and settled down, if there's still mm-hmm. pain, then we can go forward. And I have noticed. And that's what's that, happened, and that's where we are now. Um, yeah. Unfortunately, at the end of the alignment, my bite is still not quite right. So I've, I'm looking at another couple months of having to wear the aligners, and a, probably another month of moving teeth. But um, I have noticed less pain since I've started taking the echinacea and now I'm wondering if I'm also just having less pain because I'm putting so much myrrh on it as an analgesic (laughs) so um, but and you know there's nothing wrong with doing that with using an analgesic if the tooth alignment is causing you distress and it does cause 
distress. It's not an unusual reaction. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's mostly that I was interested when I found out that I had this infection. I was interested in the fact that I had been having a, a pain experience that I in no way associated with my mouth or my teeth. And then that was gone completely, and now it's back. So it just, it, it does, it could be sort of a guardian illness, sort of saying, hey, you know. Hey, hello, look what's yeah, happening here. It could be the same thing back again. Um, and I suppose I do have those questions to ask because it, knowing what he would do or want to do next does probably change what I might want to do. But, um, yeah, I I think um, I would like to continue treating it as if it's an infection. Um, yeah. And that, maybe it never hurts to treat it as if it's an infection. Yeah. You're not going to hurt yourself by taking echinacea. Okay. But then what about should I get some poke root and start adding that in? If you don't, if at this point you don't think there's an infection, then I would say, no. Wait until you mm-hmm. actually think there's an infection. If you want to use some poke root. Okay. And you may not need to. The echinacea may be enough. It may also, as you say, be mostly uh, from the alignment. Yeah. Well, that's kind of what my instinct was, but I'm at an I'm at a stopgap where nothing's been moving for a couple weeks, and it's still happening. So it uh-huh. points to possibly being an infection. Yeah. Um, well, I you I think that you're taking very good care to be, have already been taking echinacea, and that I think. It's not going to sneak up on you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You're right there with it, paying attention to it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. I've, um, and that's what, feeling- that's, what, that's what's really important. Mm-hmm. So it, this dentist is a, definitely a dentist of our times. And this is a dentist who is used to dealing with people who basically are not taking care of themselves very well at all. Mm-hmm. And so I really appreciate the effort that these people make to keep people who aren't doing their homework um, as healthy as they can be. Uh, but it's really important for us not to get sucked in to be treated like one of these unhealthy people that they're so used to treating. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. That, I think that, that your I, level of health is well beyond what this dentist is used to working with. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Well, um, thank you. I feel like I have more you questions. You are welcome. Thanks for your question. I'll call back. Good night. <laughs> Good night. Yeah. Good night. All right. And it looks like we've got four callers that have their hand raised. The next is dialed in from the 202 area code. From the 202, you are live with Susan. Hi, Susan. This is Cynthia. I have called you about 
a month ago. Um, I, have, I was diagnosed with uterine cancer, had a hysterectomy with all of that removed. I did make a decision to do chemotherapy. I did one round of chemotherapy. I'm about to do my second in um, two days. And I wanted to ask you, uh, oh, first of all, you had recommended my taking five defenders, the mushrooms, real mushrooms, which I've been yeah. doing. And thank you for that. And I wanted to ask about um, milk thistle with chemotherapy, if that's if that what your what your thoughts and recommendations were um, about that, and you know for the side effects that have come with chemotherapy. Um, there's a problem with your question. Let me ask you a similar question. What would you say the best way to season a vegetable is? The best way to season a vegetable? That's a very impossible question to answer because there's a lot of different vegetables and there's a lot of different chemotherapies. And different chemotherapies have very different effects on you. Do you know what kind of... Chemotherapeutic agents are being used. I have, all, I have it all written down. I don't have it in front of me, though. I'm, I'm sorry to uh, bring Did you choose them? Were the ones you wanted? Um, these are the ones that were recommended to me. And you, recommended? And uh-huh. You know, generally, we don't get good health care when we use what's recommended. Because, again, what's recommended is for the average person. Are you the average person? No. Well, then why let them just treat you that way? Right? So, protect, I'm in Breast Cancer, Breast Health, The Wise Woman Way. Do you have this book? Yes. Okay. So starting on page 228 for women choosing chemotherapy. Protecting your liver. Milk thistle. It's a very first mentioned. And a lot of information about that. And then ginkgo and schisandra. One of the most problematic side effects of adriamycin, cisplatin, 5-FLU, methylene, metamycin, methotrexate, taxol, phyoketa, vinlastine, and vincristine is damage to the bone marrow. Here's how to deal with that. Nausea and vomiting. Here's how to deal with that. And so on. So that's what I would suggest is that you have that book. Good. Check it out. It's all written down in there so that whenever we need it, we have the opportunity to go and refer to it. Now, let's go to Abundantly Well. And I know there's a lot of stuff in here about radiation. I don't remember if um, surgeon, anesthesia, surgery, I don't think there's anything about chemotherapy. Is mentioned 
Um, there isn't like a section on it. That's interesting. What will increase the effectiveness of chemotherapy? That's a good idea, huh? That's a good make, idea. Yeah. Make it more effective, yeah. One of the real problems that most people have with chemotherapy is that it m- messes them up so much that they have to, like, reduce the amount and so they don't get as much result as they like. Fasting. Fasting can improve the effectiveness of chemotherapy. You might want to check that out. You don't have to fast all the time, but right before or right around the time of it. Um, Interesting. uh, Studies that have not been done on lots of people, but that individual people pretty much have uh, undertaken with themselves and written about. Okay. Um, so you said you do know which chemotherapies you're taking? I do. I just don't have it. In, in oh, but you don't have it with you. That's okay. So you might want to look those up and look up the specific um, things that those chemotherapies do. And again, in the breast cancer book, um, there's a list, I believe, of the different um, chemotherapies. Yeah, there's a big chart for all of the side effects that chemotherapy can cause and then a list of um, herbs, including milk thistle, and which of those side effects they will help ameliorate. Okay. I'm sorry. And that's, to on, my hair that's now on page 243. Okay. All right. Okay. And keep drinking your nourishing herbal infusions. Okay. I will do that. Thank you so very much. You're welcome. Green blessings. Good night. Bye bye. All right, and there are three callers dialed in with their hands up. The 914 area code is the next caller in the queue. 914, you are live with Susan. Hello. Hi, Susan. I spoke to you last week, um, and so um, I wanted to just revisit and for a moment because um, things have shifted since I spoke to you a little bit. Um, I spoke to you about um, breast cancer and dealing with that and I was looking for some herbal resources um, and reinforcement as I navigate um, I was supposed to have surgery this week and that um, has moved or I had a hand in moving that <clears throat> so part of that is because um I need to check another area before the surgery. So that um, is going to be a biopsy. Um, But I think there were just so many takeaways from my conversation with you last week, Um, so many wonderful gems. (laughs) And I've been trying to just, um, you know, work with those and – for example, I ordered a bunch of, I ordered all the herbs and 
to make the change. For the infusion. They haven't arrived yet. Yes, they haven't arrived yet, but they should any time. I've started drinking, I'm drinking nettle tea right now, but it's not from the fresh herbs. It's from a bag. You um, can't use fresh herbs. You cannot use fresh herbs. I mean, uh, sorry, I ordered... It doesn't work from fresh herbs. Yes, sorry, that was a mis... uh, I misspoke. I ordered the dried herbs. Okay. But I'm currently drinking from a tea bag, not the infusion. I understand what Um, you're saying. Sorry. Okay. Okay. Um, And so I guess my question is, and I'm going to try to make this Zoom tomorrow, but um, I... My question is just... um, I don't have the. I don't have those. I'm not making the infusions yet. Um, I have some tinctures. I have some mushroom tinctures, and I have some herbal tinctures. And I guess I'm. Um, I'm looking for kind of like a way to get into a, a daily. You know, just a daily um, care treatment for myself. Um, so mm-hmm. I'm sort of looking for some go-to things, and I think the herbal infusion was is a go-to once I get that and start making it. Um, but I just wondered if any of any particular of the tinctures. Yes, be a go-to first right, I want to give right you now. a big picture. First, I want to give you a big picture. Okay. So the big picture is that there are seven medicines. Serenus tea medicine, story medicine, mind medicine, lifestyle medicine, alternative medicine, pharmaceutical medicine, and deep medicine. Basically, we want to be healthy by using the first mm-hmm. four medicines. Okay. Right? Serenity medicine, mind mm-hmm. medicine, story mm-hmm. medicine, and lifestyle medicine. When we are facing a challenge, we want to really ramp those up. So the first Mm -hmm. part of your daily care is some kind of serenity medicine. Okay. What makes you feel really calm, centered, and that you know that the universe is here to support you? Yes, meditation, writing, yoga, those things. Whatever that is, that's the first thing in your care. Story medicine. It's daunting to listen to the stories that are running around in our heads. But there Mm -hmm. they are, and we all have them. You're going to die. This is going to kill you. What are you doing? Are you crazy? Go let the doctors deal with it. And it's very important to both hear those stories, but Mm -hmm. not let them be the stories you believe. Mm -hmm. If we don't hear them, we can't say, I don't believe it. So we have to actually hear them. Mm -hmm. Okay. And to know and to be very aware that there are very different stories so that when or if you talk to other people, including mm-hmm. medical professionals, you are able to stay in your story. Yeah. And this is why serenity medicine first, so that you have that basis to stay centered in your own story, knowing that other people have stories. It's absolutely fine that other people have stories. They don't have to be yours. 
can I was be glad when you were talking about yeah. movies earlier. I mean, that's another story medicine that I go to. <laughs> right. And then um, in what way are you engaging the energy? Mm-hmm. The shaman's playground is as wide as the human imagination. It's a fairly easy place to get lost, but it's also a good place to do several different things. So I involved myself in a rather complicated homeopathic regime mm-hmm. um, that took three hours every morning. Wow. Yeah. Incredibly complicated. You think, you know, Randy said it's been specifically formulated for me and my entire family because we weren't just working with the primary homeopath on the planet who does homeopathy for cancer, but they believe that it clears it from the family line. That's their intention. Wow. Yeah. And one of the cancers I was dealing with was the cancer that killed my mother. So it seemed like a good shot to do that. Yeah. Even though it was reasonably expensive, but hey, placebos are always always work better if they're expensive. That sounds like an epigenetic uh, remedy. Right. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, how, in what way are you really engaging the energy? Mm-hmm. The energy of 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 of, of, of healing. Whatever you think the energy needs to be. Susie Mazzoli, my favorite homeopath, whose care I was under, um, Mm -hmm. says that you engage the energy of your innate perfection. Mm -hmm. That you never ask for healing. Okay. It's one of those wishes that sometimes you get and you think, what was I asking for? Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. And then lifestyle. I personally am a great believer in movement. Mm -hmm. I think it's critically important to have rhythmic movement in one's life, whether that's Mm -hmm. walking, chi, qigong, drumming. Qigong, yeah. Yeah, and, you I know, two but, Qigong classes today. But, but regularly, regularly, yeah. consistently. Yeah. Not that it has to be every day, but it's mm-hmm. regular, consistent. Then mm-hmm. there's a divide. And that divide mm-hmm. reminds us that the first four steps always build health. But the last three, three steps, while they can preserve life and deal with dramatic symptoms, always erode health. Mm. So the nourishing herbal infusions are lifestyle and the tinctures are alternative medicine. Okay. Putting mushroom powder in your food to me is lifestyle and the tinctures are alternative medicine. Okay. So... Yeah, prioritizing is my question. Yeah. Yeah, it's not in any way wrong to take tinctures. 
mm-hmm. and you will take them based on what you are perceiving you need. Mm-hmm. So what I wanted initially was to help my body clear away and stop feeding a hormonal, hormonally sensitive cancer. Mm-hmm. So I chose herbs that I knew could support my doing that. Yeah, yeah. And because there are so many herbs and so many effective herbs, right now there are over 10,000 herbs used medicinally that we know of, (laughs) and there could be thousands more that we don't know of. It's Mm -hmm. not not like a drug. It's not like, and it's not even really true with drugs now, is it? You know, it's not like you just have to choose the right one for it to work. You have a lot of right choices. Yeah. Well, it sounds like I'll I'll be getting a good grounding with the herbal infusions. Absolutely. And the things that, that I you're didn't already, have before. things you're already yeah. doing. Um, mm-hmm. Acknowledge that they are part of your dealing with this. And mm-hmm. ask Ask for that if you're doing Qigong. It's quite appropriate Mm -hmm. to focus that in terms of clearing a problem. Mm -hmm. I remember one of the first movies that I saw about Qigong showed a group of terminal cancer patients who were still meeting like seven years later to do their Qigong. (laughs) 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 Yeah. Right. (laughs) You mentioned the seven medicines, and I think I only got um, six. I I got up to lifestyle alternative medicine, and I got deep, but I missed one. Pharmaceutical medicine is before deep medicine. Oh, that's why I missed it. (laughs) (laughs) Mm. And those are discussed in great detail in my book, Abundantly Well, those seven medicines. Okay. Okay, great. I will get that. Great. So Um, what are the leading anti-cancer herbs? In the world, burdock, okay, red clover, uh-huh. dandelion, okay, and these are not what I would call herbal chemotherapy. In other words, these are actually safe, nutritive herbs that can be used as lifestyle medicine, even though they are considered remarkably effective at helping to get rid of cancer. Okay. Hmm. Herbal chemotherapy would be things like celandine, poke root. Mm-hmm. Herbs that okay. I would Okay. I mean, I did order I wouldn't some poke take root if I was doing herbs. chemotherapy. Or mistletoe, yeah. things like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So... 
Well, is the mixing... Is since the mistletoe is injected and mm-hmm. given by IV, it's definitely deep medicine. It's like herbal chemotherapy. <laughs> That's, I've never heard of mistletoe. I've never heard of mistletoe therapy. Something. Mistletoe therapy yeah. is used by millions of people, especially in Holland, Germany, and Israel, where it mm. is you most of the time as an adjunct to chemotherapy and other treatments. It is mm-hmm. occasionally used. I used it instead of regular chemotherapy. Mhm. Mhm. Yes, I'm hoping that that will stay off the, the table. Yes. Um, so. Good. <laughs> yes. Um, yeah. Well, thank you. I think I, I just need to do some trial and error in terms of. I mean, unless there's something to know about the mixing of herbs and tinctures. Well, I don't mix them together. I keep them as simples. Even Mm -hmm. if I'm taking half a dozen herbs, there's half a dozen bottles sitting there. I actually don't mix them. And you don't take them at the same time, or do you sometimes? I do take them at the same time, but I don't stir them together. Okay, okay. Taking them at the same time. In other words, I'm allowing myself to take a differing amount of each herb each day. If I were to mm-hmm. formulate them, mixing them together, then yeah. I would be stuck with a standard amount of each herb each day. Mm-hmm. Gotcha. So one of the herbs I take now is cleavers, and some days I take two tropperfuls instead of one. Mm-hmm. That's a pretty big difference. But by having it as a simple, mm-hmm. I, I can do that really easily. Or some m- more... Yeah, I, God, I would just... And I thank the herbs every morning when I take them. And I said, Chinesi, I said, thank you. And I've been saying thank you to you for what, you know? They turned me out of the hospital in the middle of May 2020, and I've been taking Echinacea basically daily since. Just a little bit now. But still, I'm taking uh-huh. it every single day. And I thank the Echinacea because I still have an unhealed wound. Mm-hmm. So I need a little anti-infection help. Thank you, Echinacea. And some days, some days I just take a tiny bit, and some days I'm like, need three dropper fulls this morning. Mhm. Yeah. I just have to find my find my way with it. Yeah. Yeah. All right. I'm going to say green Thank blessings you. to you. Thanks yes, for your green call blessings. back. Thank you so much, Susan. Um, talk to this last person before. All right, and we'll go to the last caller for the evening. You're dialed in from the 215 area code. From the 215, you are live with Susan. Hi, Susan. Um, I wanted to get your thoughts quickly. I got a strange call out of the blue from my healthcare provider saying there's a new state mandate that for women with dense breasts, um, with, you know, doing regular mammography, that they're going to help fund getting breast MRI or uh, breast ultrasound because there could be additional things there that can't be picked up on mammograms. And I just, my initial reaction, um, I didn't meet with my provider yet, but, you know, I just got a regular screening mammogram and my initial reaction is just like, this is just not a way to go. And I just wanted to get additional thoughts from you. 
Okay, well, just to start off with, I cannot imagine why any woman would ever go and get a mammogram. Mm -hmm. Over the course of um, 30 years of mammograms, 80% of women will receive a false positive. What a strange thing to do. It's extremely rare that a mammogram saves a woman's life or finds breast cancer before she does. And every woman I know who's died of breast cancer has had regular mammograms. Mm -hmm. So just from the jump, I mean, a a better kind of mammogram, I wouldn't go for any kind of mammogram, period, Mm -hmm. end of of sentence. Mm Mm-hmm. Would I touch my breast? Would I be aware of my breast? Would I be in touch with my body? Yes, yes, and more yes. And that's, of course, one of the worst parts of mammograms is that having mammograms encourages women to let somebody else do it. Mm-hmm. It was one of the very first things I ever saw on the Internet was an ad from Canada, and it showed a whole bank of young men sitting in front of a coffee table full of telephones. And it said, just call our helpline. Be happy to do your breast self-exam for you. Yeah. And then it went to a blank screen, and then the words, you do it. Okay. So a mammogram is not a good way to. Yeah. So then an ultrasound or an MRI is definitely not a good thing. It's definitely not. Yeah. I just wanted to real quick that I called um, a couple months ago, started using Hypericum on my toes, and things are still changing for the better significantly after the seven years of of pain. And so I'll just call another time to be able to report back in in better detail. I'm just... Wow, thank you so much. Yep. Good blessings. You too. Good night. Good night. All right, and I see Whitney is... All right, and that brings us up to our time with Whitney Walker. Whitney Walker is a licensed marriage and family therapist who specializes in, and we talked about this at the beginning of the show, we decided she didn't actually specialize in addiction because we were wondering which addictions that she liked to be addicted to and eating disorders and what kind of eating disorders she had and trauma and most of us are traumatized. We actually decided that what she meant is she specializes in helping people who are addicted, have eating disorders, trauma, and that she combines spirituality with this. Whitney works as a recovery coach and a spiritual guide. She opened a private practice in the California Bay Area where she sees clients, couples, and families. Whitney incorporates spiritual concepts into her work, including the return of the divine feminine to our world and moving from fear to love releasing self-destruction and rejection to embrace unconditional self-love and acceptance. These ideas form the concept of 
business vision for the future. Whitney created the Women Weekend, a holistic guide to wellness and abundant self-love, along with an accompanying Women Waken YouTube channel. Welcome to the show, Whitney. Hi, thank you so much for having me. Did we get it right? It's not you who's addicted and has eating disorders and is traumatized? Wait, I'm sorry, you're, you're a little choppy. What was that? Did we get it right that it's not you who's addicted, has eating disorders, and is traumatized? Uh, no, I, I do. I have all those things. <laughs> I've experienced Okay, things. so when you say you specialize in addiction, you mean you personally are specializing in being addicted? Well, I specialize in working with people who have this. In working with people. You see, I'm autistic, and so I don't read between the lines. Ah, uh, Okay. When you say you specialize in addiction, then I think that's what you do is you are a specialist in being addicted. No, I'm not a specialist in being addicted, but I I do see myself as an addict as I've had many addictions that I've overcome. Wow, what kind of addictions have you overcome? Well, I struggled with substance abuse and drug abuse and... I consider an eating disorder to be a form of addiction, uh, addiction to food, and... Uh, I'm a little unclear as to what the difference between substance and drug is. Well, a substance, well, I mean, it's the same thing, but usually alcohol, people might say substance, but yeah, substance is any drug or alcohol. Okay. That's kind of what I thought. I thought, oh, gosh, there's some new thing going on here that I don't know about. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, yeah, substances. I mean, substance could also be food. It's any anything you can take that can change the way you feel, really, is what I would call a substance abuse issue. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, the, that you use something outside of yourself to, in a way that you call, um, that is called abusive, and that one feels addicted to it. Yes, absolutely. Well, feels and then it can actually become physiologically addicted to it, right? That's that's why a substance abuse can be so dangerous and difficult is because your body actually becomes uh, dependent on it at a certain point to function. That's why people can, you know, of course, um, draw from various substances. Yes, and that can be very daunting to withdraw. Yeah. Something so that so that what started off maybe as pleasant or useful becomes um, something that you can't change. Absolutely. And it's a very creepy feeling. If I could share a little of my personal experience, um, I became became addicted to um, Vicodin in my 20s. And at first, it's just, just as you just said, I would, you know, I, I, liked it so much it made me feel so good I felt euphoric when I took it I had energy and I thought this is great why isn't everybody taking Vicodin every day (laughs) it's the miracle drug Uh, and but then I realized oh I need a little more to feel that same effect so I'll just take a little more and then I realized as it starts to wore off not only did I feel did I not just not feel good I felt bad Right, I was like, "Oh, my body feels weird. I feel achy. I feel anxious." So that's 
when you are developing that dependence, right? And that's when what you took that at one point seemed like, you know, the golden ticket becomes, you know, this really dark thing. It becomes more like a golden yoke. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that 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 you increasingly have to take care of whereas before it seemed to take care of you, now you take care of it. Exactly. Exactly. It really becomes like this entity uh, addiction does, and it can be in any form, right? If somebody has, if somebody has a gambling addiction, right? They, you get drawn into it, not because you don't get addicted to something because it's terrible, right? Because you got nothing out of it. You get something out of it at first. It, it gives you a, a thrill. It gives you a sense of well-being. It gives you a sense of love. But then, as you described, I often say that you become a slave to it. You know, what you once thought was going to save you becomes, you know, really your your prison. Mm. And have you found that there's something that works for everybody, or does it have to be individual to, to move ourselves out of addiction? Yeah, I've... I've personally believe it's very individualized of course there's common threads right there's things we find where we can say okay this has worked for a lot of people you know this is one of the common things that's most present and prevalent when people are trying to get sober trying to make that choice um to get sober so there's definitely similar tenets i would say but i think everyone's individual path towards recovery is is unique and is different and that's I would guess, um, part of what keeps you interested. Yeah, yeah, that's why I love working with all different types of people and wherever they come from. And that's, you know, sort of what I, my personalized approach is that I like to allow people to see that I I see them as an individual and that I don't have like a packaged way to address um, addiction or, you know, someone who's overcoming trauma in their life, whatever it might be, that I want to hear from them and see where they're at and what's going to work best for that specific person. And it does keep things interesting because, yes, a lot of addictions look alike, but they're never exactly the same. And is that true even, like, within one person's life? Like, uh, you said that you dealt with being addicted to alcohol, being addicted to drugs, and dealing with an eating disorder. Was your recovery from each of those similar, or was it very different? They were different. They were definitely different. For me, um, the getting off of the, the drug felt uh, like I had to do it because I, I, it had become so miserable and I felt like I, I didn't have a choice um, that I just had to do it. But the eating disorder was, is, I believe, it's, it's much more difficult, um, at least for me. Some people go into a very, very dangerous space with an eating disorder. It, it's actually, um, well, anorexia specifically, which is where somebody, it actually means a fear of food. So somebody, it's a, a disorder based in restriction of food and calorie intake and a fear of gaining weight. And that is the, the most lethal mental health uh, diagnosis is anorexia. So it can be very dangerous, but a lot of people struggle 
with it. And it's definitely not good on your body or your health or your mental health, but it can go on and on. And it can be really tricky to move out of because it becomes very habitual. The, the rituals that go along with it, which I will also say that addictions are challenging to stop because it's not just the effect you get, it's the ritual around it often that is just as hard. It could be a part of a lifestyle or a part of the way that you're, you know, your daily routine that feels unimaginable to change. So, yes, I and, think that each, and, each one has often, a different way of stopping. Often there are addictions that are supported by the people that you are with. Oh, completely. Completely. I mean, so many people, I, I remember thinking when I was in my 20s, like, I don't know if this is normal to, because I would drink and black out a lot. I would, you know, wake up next morning, not know what happened. I would drink by myself a lot. I would drive drunk. And I was like, is this a problem? But everybody else around me was drinking a lot and acting, you know, irresponsibly. And I was like, it's fine. <laughs> Until, and here's the big thing. And this is what I, you know, will always ask somebody is the only reason to get sober is if that's what you want. It has to be you that wants it because people will find that, you know, I, I have a brother who struggled with addiction and for over a decade, my family and I went through this cycle of, you know, him going on these vendors and, you know, disappearing and then coming back and saying, oh gosh, I just want help. But then it would go around and around again and we couldn't get him sober. Ultimately it had to be his choice. Right. So it always has to be the person's choice. You have the only reason to get sober is because you've decided this isn't who I am. I think that's the biggest question somebody has to ask themselves. And that was the question I finally asked myself. You know, I stopped drinking, not necessarily because I, I didn't get, you know, I didn't have the worst happen. Thank goodness. I didn't get an accident. I didn't hurt anybody, even though I really, I could have, you know, I put my, I did things that were really reckless. But I, I just looked at myself and I said, this is not who I am. I don't want to be somebody who's, you know, irresponsible and dangerous to others and so selfish and all these things that came out when I was drinking. So that's the question people can ask themselves. And even if you don't, because I, I believe there's a spectrum of addiction, right? You can, there's an early phase where you can just start to say, you know, I don't know if this suits me very well. I don't know if drinking suits me. I don't know if gambling suits me. I don't know if being so strict about what I eat suits me. We have to ask, like, is this what I really want? Is this aligned with who I want to be? I don't know if you were able to catch the early part of the show, but Sarah Ellen and I were talking about the idea, a a debatable idea, apparently for some people, um, that we have a choice. We certainly don't have a choice over the circumstances of our lives, but we have a choice over our total construct and how we behave. And I I think I hear you saying that, that there comes, that you made a choice, that you said, I'm going to choose not to be a person who gets drunk and is irresponsible. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. It It is a choice. And I think that that's such a powerful thing to remember because especially nowadays when so many of us feel like we're told what we are supposed to do and who we're supposed to be, I think it's, it's crucial that more of us start to realize that we have a choice, how we live our lives, the, the decisions we want to make, the person we want to be. We have a choice. It doesn't have to look like everyone else's. 
It doesn't have to be what everybody else says it's supposed to be. You know? I do know, and I'm glad to hear you say it, and thank you for helping others to hear that, because we know that we can profoundly influence even people that we don't know simply by being someone who maintains we can always make a choice of how we relate to life. We may not have a choice about how we are treated by life, but we can have a choice as to how we relate to that. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I often say that the difficulty with people who are addicted is that they were never given any elegant choices. Most of us prefer elegant choices. But mm-hmm. if, as you say, you didn't have in your environment who were making those more elegant choices, oh, I just had a really terrible day in your environment. When that happened, the choice was let's go get drunk. Mm-hmm. In another environment, the choice might be, let's sit and meditate. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so, in fact, that's what you're doing. You are offering more elegant choices. Mm. I love that phrase, an elegant choice. It's that's more elegant. What every human being is doing is trying to stay alive and feel good enough to stay alive. <laughs> Isn't that the truth? And it's a real chaos, mess, sadness, pain, misery, you know? Yeah, well, I don't believe we're meant to live like that. Nonetheless, there's a lot to look forward to, and there's a lot to enjoy, and life's great. But you have to find those elegant ways to get yourself through the bad parts, because there are going to be bad parts. Yeah. Yeah, and un- for unfortunately, the inelegant ways lead you to believe you've created the bad parts. Mm. Yes, that's very true. That's very true. And then, then we can fall into that hole where we feel, well, I've messed things up. I'm not who I wanted to be. I've done things that I'm ashamed of. That's another big crux of addiction. A lot of people have, if they have deep-seated shame been to them or something that they did, uh, our, our world is not very forgiving of people. We're very critical of people. We're very, I, I like to bring things down to conditional versus unconditional. Everything I do in my work is an effort to move more towards unconditionality in the way that we love one another, in the way that we care for one another, and in the way that we live our lives. But right now, so much of our lives are conditional, right? Well, if, if you're like this, then you are not accepted. If you did this, then you're cast out. If you do this, then you're not going to be loved. You're not worthy. All of these things. And as long as we think that way, so many of us are going to see life as this miserable sentence of, oh, well, you know, who am I? I'm nothing. I'm not valued, so I must have no value, right? So that's the kind of spiral you can go down. As you spoke to where we say, oh, well, I did this, you know, I made this mess, and so what, there's no hope for me. Not true. And I absolutely agree with you. I run, I often say, a no blame, no shame, no guilt program. 
Beautiful. Because those are really useless emotions. And my mentor, Elizabeth Kubler-Ross, just threw them out the window. She said, you're not allowed any of this. Blame, shame, guilt. Forget. Yeah. And believe me, in the life, death, and transition workshops, I saw every variety of blame, shame, and guilt there was. And I saw that it didn't do anybody who indulged in it, and yes, I'm going to say it's an indulgence, any good at all. Yeah. I'm all for, and Elizabeth was all for anything that's effective. But blame, shame, and guilt are not effective. Except in keeping you down and keeping you addicted. Yes. Absolutely. And I think that that's, um, there's actually somebody uh, who I know worked with Elizabeth. Do you know Neil Donald Walsh? He's an author. Not really. Okay, so he's an author. He wrote this great series called Conversations with God, and he worked with Elizabeth, and he's one of the things that he shared was that um, there's no right or wrong. It's just what works and what doesn't work. Right. Those are the two paths. And to me, that made so much sense because I said, I thought, you know, we spend so much time telling people, oh, you're wrong, you're stupid, you're, you're this or that, but let's just look at it as what works and what doesn't. Just as you said, it's not – we don't want to, you know, give – shame people who have shame, right? We don't want to tell them that you, you shouldn't be angrier, but it's, we have to ask, like, is that working for you? And just as you said, if it's not working, then let's try to heal it. And that's why so many of us are healers at this time, because our, I believe the world is ready to change. We're ready to stop this cycle of madness <laughs> where, you know, we just keep, keep ourselves down. We're meant to be lifted up, and we will be once we don't keep ourselves in this place of grief and regret and anger and resentment. I am with you on that entirely. As a woman, however, I must admit that I am more in favor of down than up. I am more in favor of earth than sky. I am more in favor of dark than light. Mm. Ooh. Because those are woman. Mm. Woman is dark. Woman is earth. Woman is down deep. She's the deep and nourishing dark. She is the darkness from which all things emerge and to which all things will return after their brief mm. stay in the light. Mm. Yes, yes, I hear that. To be up is to be above others, conditional. To be below is to support all, and that's unconditional. Beautiful, that foundation. Let us be the foundation. Let us not attempt to rise. Rising takes us up into the head and away from the body and the planet. It is the way of the white male God. She lives underground. And very, very powerful in in the most gentle way. There's often a... uh, It often changes a woman's life. 
when she begins to understand that all of the signs and trappings of spirituality that she's been taught about lead her only to the white male god. Because they take her ever up and ever more pure rather than down and into the dark. They separate, they divide. They create judgment. That kind of spirituality. Yeah. And you and I, we have the the inner impulse to proclaim the value of women. Not just to be a woman, not just to be a valuable woman, not just to show ourselves as a woman, but to stand up on the highest mountain and scream, women are valuable. Yes. Yes. So let us value everything that is womanly. Yes. Absolutely. And I believe that embracing everything that is woman and everything you just described is going to be what enables the change that we can see for humanity and for people's experience on this planet. Because women haven't really been allowed to have the presence that they're meant for. the true feminine has... Well, women have been allowed, and we are going backwards. Fifty years ago, women could drive and uh, eat in a restaurant in Egypt. They can't now. Mm-hmm. Ten years ago, women could go to school in Afghanistan. They can't now. And these are just two of a dozen examples of how women's freedoms have been severely curtailed. Oh, shall we even look at the United States where now there are places where it's illegal to terminate a pregnancy even if the pregnancy will kill the mother? Yeah. Well, I think it's the the attempts for men to, their last attempts to try and gain control, which which they can't. Forever. I've been hearing women say this is men's last attempt for about 75 years now. Mm. Well, it's a long they time. They have long. not gotten better for women in this time. They have certainly, you know, the third wave of feminism did a lot of good, but obviously not enough good. Obviously, our message that you can be anything was somehow turned into you have to be everything. <laughs> Which is never what we said. No. Um, and left women feeling very rejected. So, oh my goodness, our time is drawing to a close. What haven't we talked about that you really want to talk about, Whitney? <laughs> um, I mean, I would love to talk more about, you know, the the upside of what, women are bringing to the table right now and those like yourself and I and Elizabeth and other women who see, uh, you know, who have a vision for things can be versus how they are now. Elizabeth's vision was very fulfilled. She wanted death accepted. And I think that it is that we now have death doulas. 
and that um, certainly in what I've experienced in hospitals, death is accepted. It's not hushed up or tried to disappear. Mm-hmm. And um, I have very clear goals, which I think are really um, well um, on their way, that the wise woman tradition be an accepted healing tradition, that women's voice in healing be a clear voice and accepted and that herbal medicine be restored to its rightful place as people's medicine. And I know that you have some clear goals, too. Uh, you uh, echo uh, one of uh, my favorite teacher's uh, messages, which is, uh, love is stronger than fear. Love will mm-hmm. always be stronger than fear, even though we're more afraid of fear than we are of love. And I um, always like to quote Zhuzhan in Budapest as saying, peace is a lot harder than war. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So what last words will you leave in the hearts and minds of everyone who's listening to you tonight, Whitney Walker? And before that, please tell people how they can find you. Yeah. Well, you can find my podcast, Women Waken, on any platforms, Apple or Spotify. Um, you can also find me on Instagram at Women Waken, and then we can, you can message me. We can even connect directly because I love to have conversations um, with women, with people. And I think, you know, the, the biggest message I like to leave people with is that trust yourself above all else. Just, it ties back into the idea of you have a choice. And you also spoke of fear. You know, a lot of us make choices out of fear. We don't listen to our own inner voice. We don't listen to our own wisdom. Your show is the wise women. Women have deep, deep wisdom that has been oppressed and not allowed and not respected in our world. And to me, that's why our world is the way it is. It's a world that thrives in fear, that is run by fear. That's, why we, that's how we got where we are today. The change will happen when more people speak their truth about what they believe is so, what could work, what is possible, even if it means being judged, being, you know, rejected. That's what, change only happens when, when people offer something new, right? And I'm a big believer in the abundance of the universe and the universal wisdom. There is, it's infinite. There's all kinds of new ways to do things, just waiting for us to pull it from the ethers. Just as you said, the woman is that the void, right? It's the, it's the deep, infinite void of potential. And women especially need to listen to what part of that is coming through them in this lifetime. What truth is coming up for them that they could share. And just as you spoke to, it can help others. We speak our truth and people hear it. Truth has a very specific vibration, a very specific sound. It rings, it, it touches our hearts, our souls. It's that voice inside of you. All right, listen to that voice inside of you and be true to yourself. I'll go with that. But truth, real truth, can never have a pronoun. Because if there's my truth and your truth, then that ain't truth. Right. There's that. Well, there's a subjective truth. Right. You cannot, most... if you once you start modifying truth with pronouns, there ain't no truth left. 
and we just, you know, you know, have just barely, right, gotten to recover a little bit from somebody who didn't understand that his truth wasn't true. Right. So let's be really clear about what's true, and it can't be your truth, because somebody else's truth might be that all women should be made to live under lock and key and wear bags over their heads when they go outside. That could be somebody's truth. And as a matter of fact, it is. As a matter of fact, it is. So I don't like this idea of having individual truths. Okay. Truth is like the speed of light, right? We have to understand that what most people pass off as truth is belief, and beliefs can be changed. Truths can't. The speed of light can't be changed, as far as we know. I don't know. It could be wrong, but I don't think so. Anyhow, we are reweaving the healing cloak of the ancients, and Whitney Walker is adding some vibrant and marvelous threads to strengthen this reweaving. Thank you so much. And thank you, Sarah Ellen, for helping me restore herbal medicine to its rightful place as people's medicine. And hey, I forgot to mention at the beginning, those Hypericum t-shirts, there's a really small stack. They're going going gone. Great Christmas presents. Grab them while they're still here. Great blessings, everybody. Good night.